got serious fuck me eyes coming over here. Stay information or old man's coming in right behind us. No! Coughlin's Law. If you have a chance to be with Elizabeth Shue, do not screw that up. This is the Pool Scene Podcast. For this week, I'll be your bartender and your host, Kevin Bradway. Also slinging drinks with me is my co-host, Jim Sabella. Jam that jam. Jim, this week we're back to normal. Our standard format after some guests and a watch along in our after hours mini sode. We appreciate everyone sticking with us if this is what you prefer. And this week we decided to get drunk and ingest 1988's cocktail starring the middle tooth thetan himself, Tom Cruise. <laughs> I could not stop staring at his middle tooth because you had to show me that. Jim, please tell us how much it costs to make this movie how it performed on the silver screen, and how we were living in 1988. Well, this movie was a box office smash for 1988-degree standards. Came out on July 29th, 1988. Let me cut you off real quick. So that box office smash obviously was because of Brian Brown, correct? Brian Brown was the... We'll get into his character in this movie, but he's one jealous twat burger the entire movie. Yeah, I said twat burger. It's what came to my mind. So so actually, all the money it made, Tom Cruise, obviously. Big time. You have to remember, he came off Top Gun two years prior. The budget for this movie in a film, this movie in the Caribbean and in New York City was a $20 million budget, and it made $171.5 million. And yet this movie was nominated for a Razzie Award. What the hell? Yes, this movie won the Razzie for Worst Picture. This movie is so good. It's a high recommend to everybody. But here's what's going on. July 29th of 1988, two weeks prior to the release of this movie, the best Christmas movie of all time, Die Hard, was released starring Bruce Willis as yippee motherfucker John McClane. Carl Lewis set the 100-meter dash world record, wind-assisted, at 9.78, and Michael Dukakis became the Democratic nominee for president. What a blunder that ended up becoming. They still see those buttons at flea markets all over the place. You either see that button or that picture of him in a tank at a rally in Michigan in 88. That was the doom of his campaign. Michael Jackson's sack was the number one song with Man in the Mirror, but never forget that 1988 was also the year that George Harrison emerged from a five-year hiatus with the song Got My Mind Set On You, which you might remember from the amazing movie, and I believe this is Kevin's best movie of all time, Look Who's Talking, starring John Travolta and Kirstie Alley. Oh, absolutely. This movie did not star Kirstie Alley. Unfortunately. It starred Elizabeth Shue. A wet dream. That's what it starred. I think we both call our dream girl. She was, was, still is. Most guys who've ever seen her would probably call her their dream girl. Anyhow, so... This movie was based on a book of the same name. I did not read that book. I have drank some cocktails in my life, though. We're going to get into the the plot, the logic, all of those typical features we do. But a story about this movie is that Kelly Lynch, who played Coughlin's wife, actually said later on that this film was a really complicated story about the 80s and power and money. But it was basically re-edited to the point where they completely lost a lot of the characters' backstories. Coughlin's wife, for example, she had really low self-esteem. There was a backstory about who her father was, why she was the person she was. And while it was obviously a very successful movie, as Jim just said, it wasn't really reviewed as a good movie. You know what the amazing thing about this entire movie was? And it goes off that Kelly Lynch quote. She claimed Disney. Oh, boy. That Disney reshot about a third of the film and turned it into flipping bottles and this and that. Kevin and I, as we always say, we review the movie before we record. Every bar, which we'll go into it because the First bar he starts off at is a TGI Fridays, which blows my fucking mind. John Taffer would have ran into this bar and threw the biggest shit fit just for their, the Bev cost alone. They pour beer everywhere. It has to be the dirtiest fucking bar of all time. But when Kevin and I discovered that it was a TGI Fridays, our minds were just 
blown. Yeah, I ain't never seen no TGI Fridays look like that. If you ever see, you ever gone to your TGI Fridays and you get that nice little like rib combo and then the bartender is doing flip tricks, the, making a the bar's act? not in the middle of the restaurant, but against no. the back wall and just not hundreds, hundreds of people. So, uh, yeah, exactly. You know, you hate to give credit to these movie execs, but I mean, were, were they not right? What was their goal? The movie execs goal was to make money and they had Tom Cruise and they had bottle flipping and they made money made what eight times their budget or something the one thing i don't get is rotten tomatoes scored this a seven percent of 44 film critics they say there are no surprises in cocktail and it's shallow no surprises jesus christ yes that's a perfect transition because let me tell you about the plot for this razzie winner for the worst picture. Brian Flanagan has recently finished service in the U.S. Army. He heads to New York City to land a corporate career, but he cannot land a job without experience. Brian attends business school, and he stumbles into a bartending job under the tutelage of his new mentor, Doug Coughlin. At TGI Fridays. At TGI Friday. He's more into the bartending than the school, so he drops out after getting an F on a paper. He butts heads with his professor. Brian Flanagan. Oh, yes, Flanagan. Mr. Flanagan. Mr. Brian Flanagan. Let us see. Yes, Mr. Flanagan is determined to revolutionize the bar business by franchising his version of the local New York tavern to every suburban shopping mall in America. Tell me, Mr. Flanagan, do you intend to provide the smell of stale beer? (laughs) Or perhaps uh, a surly bartender and three boring drunks to each outlet? I don't know. You looking for another job? (laughs) Ah, a diamond in the rough. The dreamer who can't take the criticism. Not from a guy who hides here because he can't hack it in the real world. (laughs) Okay, Flanagan. Let's see how well you hack it in the real world with an F in this course. F! So Doug and Brian essentially become celebrity bartenders at TGI Fridays to the point where they get recruited to work at a bar called Cell Block. Your talents in a hole like this. Secret admirer. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. I got the hottest saloon in town. I want you guys working for me. In two weeks, you'll be famous. I've been famous for 10 years. Just give me the money. I got the hippie, hippie shade. So. That's about as far as we get until the wrong ingredient gets added to the recipe of this cocktail and the whole thing starts to taste like shit. Brian goes to Jamaica. He meets Elizabeth Shue. Doug marries a rich woman, which is kind of his life goal all Kelly along. Lynch. And we'll get into the, the rest over the next hour or so because the first half pretty coherent. As far as anyone saying there's no surprises, it's nothing but. This movie is full of surprises twists you could be walking straight and next thing you know it's a sharp left turn into a damn wall that's what this plot is it's all over the place so characters we have tom cruise as brian flanagan again we don't know parents he has an uncle pat he's close to his uncle pat we can only assume that his parents are dead yeah but he again recently out of the army and trying to get a a job he wants to make a million dollars you have brian brown as doug coglin his tom cruise's mentor elizabeth shoe plays jordan mooney Uh. Very well. She plays anything. Uh, and then you've got some others. You've got Kelly Lynch's Carrie Coughlin. Gina Gershon plays Coral. She's pretty interesting. Talk about a twist. And then uh, that's really, that's all that's worth mentioning. So Jim, based on that, which actor or actress gives the best performance or which uh, non-lead steals any scene? Uh, Mr. Mooney. No, I'm just joking. It's not the guy who ends up playing Cybok in Star Trek V. The one thing that stood out that made no sense whatsoever, and I'm eliminating, you know, Tom Cruise, Brian Brown, the, the top three. Let's just eliminate them, throw them away. Coral. Yeah. Gina Gershon, it just makes no sense. It's she comes into the cell block. She's taking photographs and she's basically saying, let me take photos of you, Brian, because maybe you'll become famous. You'll end up in Rolling Stone and I had to first crack you. And they have the most weirdest sex scene I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's virtually almost abusive. I would call it the dumbest sex scene in movie history. They 
they throw each other around and there, there seems to be a lot of throwing around because as we see later on in Jamaica, Elizabeth Shue's character is obsessed with doing judo throws. She finally gets one and basically almost kills Tom Cruise. It's awesome. Se- he OTs his ass. Yeah, it's like, like a Ronda Rousey, like Olympic it's quality. A really judo good throw. sumo throw. Like she attempted like four or five attempts and then dropped them right into a ground. But I, I, I can't not say that it's anyone but Elizabeth Shue. I mean, it's it's hard to. I mean, God. Yeah, it's, she, it's she Elizabeth. Can, look what she came off of. Like in Jamaica, she's tan oh, and that smile and just it's it's Elizabeth Shue. Remember the first time we saw her in Karate Kid before this movie? We saw her in Adventures in Babysitting. Yeah. And now yeah, I had her. In- and then she went away for a couple of years and then showed back up and leaving Las Vegas. Well, she was in um, Back to the Future 2 oh, and 3. Oh, that's right, 2 and 3. She so was she Jennifer was in some Parker. other stuff, but uh, yeah, you got her in, uh, I think, Oscar winner, Leaving Las Vegas, yep. you know, with Nicolas Cage. She's which uber sexual Watch that movie. that movie. Let's find out which scenes made a splash. I will go first. It's Elizabeth Shue waterfall side boob. In Jamaica, they're swimming in a natural waterfall, which at a tourist resort in jamaica there would be a thousand people there kids around families but because it's a movie they are by themselves tom cruise tries tries to take elizabeth shoes strap off her bikini and she just says i'm gonna take the whole thing off you silly boy watch this she takes the entire bikini off you get a like over the shoulder side boob it's almost t-boss in creep video like level of I, I can't think of other side boob scenes, but this is the best. This one. was this was top tier. We may we should have instead of naming this podcast pool scene podcast, <laughs> should have named it the waterfall side boob podcast. Because it's that good. That's it my, is, it's amazing. My side favorite boob. scene. Fifteen year old me would have been worn out if even though technically this podcast is named after a masturbatory scene. This part was would have been a teenager's masturbatory uh, dream. Yes. What do you got for uh, a scene? Okay, right off the bat, when we meet Coglin at T- I can't I cannot stress this enough, people. This is fucking TGI Friday. He meets Coglin and he starts reciting Coglin's laws. Nah, it's close, pal. I know. I'm looking for the manager. What's the matter? Find a hair in your quiche. No, I'm looking for a job. I see. You want to put a hair in somebody else's quiche? Just get canned? I'm looking. Looking for something better. Coglin's Law. Anything else is always something better. Coglin's Law? Douglas Coglin. Logical negatives. Flourished in the last part of the 20th century. And propounded a set of laws that the world generally ignored. To its detriment. Me. Now, Coglin's laws follow Brian throughout this entire movie. It virtually haunts him, these Coglin's laws. For instance, let me hit you with one of the very first Coglin's law. Anything else is always better. Beer is for breakfast around here. Drink or be gone. Coglin creates this drink called the Red Eye. I don't know that it was invented for this movie or not. The most disgusting drink. We'll talk about it later. We will. Yeah. Watching this movie, if you've never seen it before, Coglin's Law are the basis of Brian throughout this whole movie because him and Coglin just go one for one against each other. Even though they're supposed to be mentor and student, best friend, best buddies, Coglin always tries to one-up Brian and Brian tries to one-up Coglin and then he bounces it back with a Coglin's Law. So Coglin's Law is I would say the exposition for his character. I would say that Coglin's laws tell you who what this character believes in, who he is, how he got to the point. Another scene we'll talk about, we might as well just say it now. At the end of this movie, Coglin kills himself. Hey Doug. Doug. Suicide. And after the suicide, in his letter, he tells Brian that ignore all the Coglin's laws, they were all bullshit. My dearest Brian, a guy like me looks in the mirror. He either grins or he starts to fade away. And I haven't seen anything to grin about in a long time. This may not be the most graceful exit, but I know when the bottle's empty. But the only thing I'm really going to miss is the conversations we had going. At least I get the last word, even if I had to mail it in. Coglin's Law. Bury the dead, they stink up the joint. 
As for the rest of Cogman's laws, ignore them. The guy was always full of shit. <laughs> but I guess you knew that already. But then again, he does say, bury the dead, they stink up the joint, and like you said, ignored the laws, the guy was always full of shit. So yes. he basically said he was full of shit the He's entire time. He's pretty much... A con man. He's a con man. He's a con man. He's an unredeemable character who Tom Cruise looks up to as his mentor and really just serves as like a a symbol to get Tom Cruise. Because if not, you know, we're steering away a little bit, but like Tom Cruise essentially loses Elizabeth Shue and gets her back because Coughlin kills himself. It wakes Tom Cruise up to realize, I don't want to go down that path. And she's pregnant. And she's pregnant. Yeah. The one thing about Coglin I find very interesting, too. He always criticizes Brian for having these self-help books, how to get rich quick books. And even Brian comes up with the thing like, listen, we can go down to Jamaica, pocket this money for three years, come back to New York, open up Cocktails and Dreams, which is going to be the name of their bar. Coglin's Diet. Cocktails and Dreams. Hey, that's not a bad name for a joint. You know, we really ought to think about setting up our own place. That takes money kind of money your sacred books dangle but never deliver they deliver you just got to know how to read meanwhile if you think about it coglin he's very impatient he wants everything now so his scheme is i'm gonna find somebody rich i'm gonna marry her and take her for her money and it ends up blowing up in the end because he reveals on the boat before he kills himself listen my wife has no idea i have no money i have nothing she has no clue i'm a bum yeah so the whole time he's criticizing him for his self-help books, he's doing the polar opposite. It makes no sense to me because he's criticizing him, but he's virtually doing the same thing in a different way. Yeah, uh, I will say we, we mentioned it already, but the whole scene with Gina Gershon as Coral. I'd like to try the orgasm, please. How many would you like? What for? When you're a big celebrity, I'll put you in Rolling Stone magazine. Right. My protege. I discovered it. Oh, that's great. Can you move aside, though? I can't fit you both in. Excuse me. Great. <laughs> so she comes to the cell block uh, while Flanagan and Coughlin are bartending. She orders an orgasm, and then uh, Flanagan says, how many would you like? Then you see Tom Cruise and Brian Brown as, as Coughlin and Flanagan, respectively. They both make her a hurricane. What the hell? Yeah, was it it's it was a blue something. Yeah, like a blue curacao or something. But they they make it in tandem. They are like rolling drink paraphernalia down each other's backs. Meanwhile, full fucking yes, bar. This place is packed. If somebody wanted to drink, you're going to have to wait at least 30 minutes. So I'll mention it since we're in the cell block. The cell block is they, they get headhunted. They're working at TGI Fridays, and this guy comes into TGI Fridays and says, I must have you. You must work in the bar. Meanwhile, people are throwing tips at their tip jar from like over people's yes. heads and shit like so that. So they, they go and work at the cell block, and the, our introduction to the cell block is it's like a two-story pack, like Manhattan-type. Very yuppie-ish. Yeah, Very yuppie. yuppie-ish. And for some reason, we follow a literal yuppie up the stairs. Who, with a suitcase. Who gets the entire bar to be quiet, and he says, I'm the last yuppie poet. The poem is entitled, The Bottom Line. Stick it in your Volvo. Money isn't everything, they say. Okay, so what is sex? Throw the government, you know. Art, the more it costs, the better it is. And that's the bottom line. Now, we would say by eyeballing this bar, you probably have 500 people in this bar, at least, roughly. At least. Two story tier yeah. bar. Yeah. The thing is, when this guy tells a poem, if I were at a bar and somebody tried to quiet the bar to tell a poem. Shut up, you asshole. Yeah, basically. Yeah. But instead, after he tells his poem, the entire crowd is chanting more poems, more poems. And like Coughlin and Flanagan are losing control of the bar and they know they have to get it back. So that's where you see Flanagan get up on the bar and say that he's the last barman poet. And he tells a poem about drinking. I am the world's last barman poet. Right. Give us a kiss, you 
I see America drinking the fabulous cocktails I make. America's getting stinking on something I stir or shake. The sex on the beach. The schnapps made from peach. The velvet hammer. The Alabama slammer. I make things with juice and froth. The pink squirrel. The three-toed sloth. I make drinks so sweet and snazzy. The iced tea, the kamikaze. The orgasm. Oh, hands up the merchandise. The death spasm. The Singapore sling, the ding-a-ling. Ding-a-ling? America, you're just devoted to every flavor I've got. But if you want to get loaded, why don't you just order a shot? You know what? The people that were clamoring for drinks at the bar all of a sudden shut the fuck up. Once again, John Taffer would have a field day with this. Just as we go into the cell block, it's a 40,000 square foot bar featuring a yuppie poet, a bartender poet, and one drink. $140 per square foot. I, I hope that uh, we'll mention it now. So after Flanagan and Coral have the dumb sex, the stupid sex. MMA sex. Yes. So Flanagan tells Coughlin how much he likes her, and Coughlin says she doesn't. She's just, he calls her something and basically says she's basically a hoe. Yeah, and he says she'll sleep with anyone. 50 bucks. 50 bucks. Well, 50 bucks says that Coral's in the sack with some other guy before the week's out. That's a bad thing. So while they're at work, Coughlin makes out with Coral. Right in front of him and he's stewing. Yes. And then she comes over and says something to Flanagan that doesn't Basically, make sense. he kissed and tell. He yeah. should have kissed and tell. Yeah. But how? I mean, they're grown adults. And she's like, you should have left our sex life out of it or something. And then he hauls off and fucking decks him and quits. Yeah. He, he punches Coughlin and manages to break the bar. He like falls through like a, uh, like a wrestling table and all the drinks and the whole bar gets quiet. They hear the whole conversation. Coughlin's law. Never tell tales about a woman. She'll hear you no matter how far away she is. <laughs> Come on. Can't take the truth. eh? Bullshit. It was nothing but taking a cheap shot of me. Where I come from, you don't do that to your friends. Where you come from, they're still saluting the flag and making no fingers. And no brawling in here. And that goes for the come help on. as well. I don't work here anymore. You want to cut me? Come on! You'll thank me for this one day. The fuck I will. And that's pretty much the... It ends Coughlin and Flanagan's relationship. But if John Taffer... For two years. If John Taffer had his, his recon team there... When the two bartenders got in a fist fight. You need to come together. You're throwing away the goddamn money. <laughs> and that's what he would be doing. This whole movie, I looked at it like a bar rescue episode. Damn it, John Taffer. I love your brother. But this whole movie, I feel like if you went in there in character, it'd be the most amazing thing ever. So I will just go ahead and uh, transition to my next scene, which is Flanagan's goal all along, or his idea, was they were going to open Cocktails and Dreams together. As you mentioned, he thought it would take approximately $75,000. Coral gives him the idea that in the off months, so they could stay and bartend in New York during the summer and spring. And then in the winter, in the off season, they would go to Jamaica or anywhere in the Caribbean, bartend. They'd make four to $500 a day. And they'd have enough money in three years to open their bar. After the fight, it basically, you get a flash forward two years. And that's exactly what Flanagan's doing. So Flanagan bartends in Jamaica and seems to be doing well, but is like, the first day that they show us Flanagan in Jamaica, Coughlin happens to be there. You want to see a grown man cry like a baby? When hey, bartender, you know how to make a red eye? What, no tearful greeting? Coughlin's law. Never show surprise, never lose your cool. Ah, my sons, my rebellious son. Tell your old buddy how great he looks. You look like a guy who dyes his hair and shaves with a Brillo pad. <laughs> A guy who gets an erection on his birthday if the wind is right. Isn't this great? Two years we haven't seen each other and we just flow into the old act. What do you have next for your scene? A little bit later on in the movie, Elizabeth Shue, the one big caveat with this is she doesn't want to admit that she's a rich girl. Her, you know, her dad's loaded. She lives on Park Avenue. The whole thing about Coughlin is he likes to find a rich girl, marks her out and tries to live off her money. Simple. 
She's just a little rich chick whose family owns half of Manhattan. <laughs> Guess to piss them off, she decided to marry a bartender. True love. Elizabeth Shue was put off to that and doesn't want to reveal the fact that she's a rich girl. She said, you know, she has a genuine job. She works as a waitress at this place called Jerry's. It's a delicatessen, I believe. It's just a deli. You're run-of-the-mill, like, 50s deli with jukeboxes and stuff like that. So after his relationship with the rich girl, Bonnie, he goes back to actually ask for forgiveness. Like, out of nowhere, hasn't seen her, and I don't know how long passed from when Jamaica left the back. Well, plus, they only, I mean, it couldn't have been too long because she's pregnant and she's not showing. Yeah, so prop maybe a, a month. months. Yeah, but they've only known each other two days. She fell hook, line and sinker when she saw him walk away from the bar with the rich girl, Bonnie. She was devastated. She took the first plane back to New York City, she said to hell with this. So he kind of in a way stalks her, ends up going back into Jerry's place and notice her sits down at her table, basically asking for her forgiveness, saying, hey, I love you. I'm sorry. I messed up. Can I get a second chance? What are you doing here? Bet you thought you'd never see me again. Hoped is a better word. Excuse me, waitress. I'll be there in a minute. Miss, we have theater tickets. Look, uh, you obviously are not here to eat, so I'd appreciate it if you'd leave. Miss? Waitress, I'll be there in a minute. I'm not leaving. Your sexy little smile's not gonna work this time. I'm not leaving. That's it. You're not leaving? Not until you let me apologize. Did you say you'd like to see the specials, sir? I'd like to see the specials. Look, no, we've been waiting. Today's specials are meatloaf mozzarella, chicken a la king. May I suggest some ketchup for your fries? I'd think twice about ordering the specials if I were you, huh? Because he's trying to say, hey, he really fucked up. But at this point in the movie, he has no idea that she saw him walk away from the Jamaica yes. bar with the rich girl. So he has no idea why she is so upset. Plus, we find out she is with child. Later, finds out she's with twins. So that, that was my second one. Uh, I will say, so he, in Jamaica, Coughlin convinces him, convinces Flanagan to hit on this woman who's a cougar and he hits on her successfully not at first but successfully 50 bucks says you don't even make it over the bar gentlemen that's a bet you guys are in on this be cool huh? yeah mademoiselle like on the rocks with a squeeze of lime oh, no, it's the tropics please try a jeu de more pardon me a jeu de more means juice of love it's made with fresh fruit right off the vine. And trust me when I tell you that it is nothing short of spectacular. Excuse me, do I have fuck me written on my forehead? And then, as you mentioned, Elizabeth Shue's character sees him leave the bar with this woman. Well, apparently because the character Flanagan, as we learn in this movie, has no free will, he goes back to New York with her and lives with her. And she, he's essentially her bitch her trophy boy yeah she's telling him she's gonna get him a job and she doesn't and he's starting to grow fed up with the whole thing well she takes him to this fancy event this art gallery where he he tells her that he's moved his stuff out at the end of this at scene. the very end after so we assume he's done with her but for some reason he goes to this gallery with her anyhow well he's been drinking and she introduces him to this ugly chud dude who's a sculptor. Biggest scumbag looking thing you would ever see. They have an awesome fight. Have a nice day. So he punches Flanagan in the face. And then what's Flanagan do? He like steps on his foot like a three stooges move. He steps move. on his foot. Pushes the guy. He somehow turns around and kicks him in the ass and he goes right into a sculpture yeah, and destroys he destroys his own sculpture. So that's a good scene. It's pretty funny. When Tom Cruise finds out that she's rich because he goes to her loft, which this loft is... It's insane. It's incredible. She lives on Park Place. No, no, no. Her parents live on Park Avenue. Yeah, I don't know where Park she Avenue lives, Park Place. but she lives in this big studio loft apartment, which red flag should have went off there. A, a waitress at Jerry's Deli is not going to be able to afford this even in 1988. He's knocking on a door and his neighbor's like, listen, She's not here. She's at her parents. And he's like, well, where is that at? You would, you know, and yeah, over on Park Avenue. He's like, uh -huh. Park. A he didn't do the Tim Allen thing. That would have been great. But he's like, Park Avenue goes over to Park Avenue and realizes 
she's loaded. She is absolutely loaded. Daddy, apparently no mother in the picture, just daddy. He's like, I've never seen my daughter this upset. I Whatever you've done, you destroyed her. And basically writes a check to him and say, hey. Yeah, $10,000. $10, here's $10,000. Get the hell out of her life. What the hell is this? That's for you. $10,000. Is that all your daughter's worth? Okay. How much will it take? I don't want your goddamn money. You can't buy me out of Jordan's life. You think I'm letting some bartender walk into my family is and destroy right? my that daughter's life? That is her choice. The hell you say? Her choice! The hell what you say? What is going on here? Were you so honest? Why didn't you tell me you were the original rich chick? Because you're so hung up on money, I was afraid that I'd never know how you really felt about me. Me. How you'd really feel about me. This is your father's idea of how to get me out of your life. This is how hung up on money I am. And as for the way I feel about you, I guess you'll never know. But later on, when they get into another fight with the concierge and her dad, the dad says, all you wanted was my money. He ripped up the fucking check yeah. right in front of him. So that's another amazing scene that Tom Cruise coming to grips that she is actually loaded. But I give her a lot of credit by not divulging that she came from money well, right. because he thought she thought it was genuine love well, after two days. A lot of this movie is Coughlin didn't do this because Brian goes to New York to chase money. He says he wants to make a million dollars. He finds Coughlin, who's a kindred spirit, because... He wants to be rich. They just have different ideas of how to get there. When the whole movie is just a journey for Tom Cruise to make this money that he wants. And then when he fights the concierge and the, the dad basically says, you're cut off to his daughter. And Tom Cruise says, good, I wouldn't want it any other way. So it proves that the girl who he got pregnant that he's known for two days, that he loves her more than he loves money because he says, I'll find a way to be successful for our kid, but I don't want the money. So, well, I think, I mean, we, we really could talk about this whole movie. I, we both like this movie quite a bit. Cut off the scenes there because we're going to get into some more in our logic section because there is a lot of that. And why don't we go ahead and do our pool check? Pool check! So this week, we're going to cover music videos from 1988, uh, because that's the year of the movie that we're covering. And this week, uh, if you don't mind, how about you go ahead and go first, because I have a two for one when I get to my number two. I'm going to do mine two for one consecutively. So okay. and you can do the same. You can you'll start at five. And then when you get to two, just go ahead and do your two and one. My number five song is a very underappreciated song. And the music video is a very Australian-esque, almost a throw to men at work. It is Midnight Oil. Yes. Beds are burning. Yes. Once again, like when we mentioned in the after hours last week, when Kevin brought up Local H. Yeah. When you hear sometimes at a bar, this will be like, oh my God that song yeah this is another yeah. in that song category like i said this video if you watch like an early 80s men at work like australian outback video that's what this video is this it's, is awesome it's a really good video it's beds are burning i mean it's the lyrics alone are just phenomenal i don't know australian bands are really good but midnight oil was a very so this is my number five great great choice i i was really close to putting that one on i have a couple caveats this week for my whole list so you're just going to have to bear with me in 1988. My number five, Crowded House, Better Be Home Soon. Nothing special about the video other than uh, it revolves around some camera tricks. But I, And I know this is about videos, but this is one of my favorite songs of all time. To me, one of my favorite songs, the, the video was passable enough to be my number five. So that's why I chose it. Not better than like, you know, a lot of these 1988 videos that we'll discuss, but that's that's my number five. Number four video. It sounds like an 80s, like an early 80s new wave throwback song. Information Society, Pure Energy. Okay. The, the video is your base. It's a very basic video. It's very lyric minded. They put the lyrics all over their face. A lot of pastel colors, a lot of blues, yellows, late 80s. I'll never forget the first time I heard the song, I thought it was Human League because it sounds like a very Human yes. League song. It's a band that I never heard of, but this was their only hit. But that's why I said this is a Human League tribute band. Any way you slice it, pure energy number four. Okay, so speaking of very 80s, Billy Ocean, Get Out of My Dreams, Into My Car. Oh, I remember that from License to Drive. Yes, License to Drive is definitely... It, License to Drive is a, probably a worse movie in 1988 than Cocktail, so it shouldn't have won the rest. Horrible movie, but a great one. Uh, so Billy Ocean's Get Out of My Dreams, Get Into My Car is very 80s. He goes through a car wash with a bunch of dancing like car wash dudes. 
And then once he's in there, there's like an incredible Mr. Olympet type thing. There's like animated fish swimming on his windshield. It's really ridiculous. Like it doesn't match the tone of the song at all, but it's definitely one of those time capsule pieces that's like, yep, this makes sense for that time. Okay, my number three video is a classic. It's a classic DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Parents just don't understand. Yeah. It's that over-the-top music video. It's literally, if, you, if you're if you unfamiliar with this video, check it out now. Basically, the beginning of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, this is somewhat that video. It's very, very late 80s type rap gear. You would get that. A lot of people would shit on LL Cool J for the Kangol hat. Once again, late 80s, early 90s. Very basic, very cheaply made music video. But the song is so damn good. Yeah throwback there number three so three out of five of mine probably have an asterisk my number three probably does it's rick astley's never gonna give you up and the reason it has an asterisk is because although the song wasn't released till 88 I'm pretty sure that the the video came out in 87. It so did I think come out in 87. so technically it's not an 88 video, but the song was released in 88. But this song, I think it's close to a billion views. Well, like up until what was it? 10 years ago, it found a resurgence with Rick Rolling on YouTube. Yes, yeah, so everything redirects to this video. Everybody's seen it. I don't need to go into detail. It's a pasty white dude with red hair. If you wouldn't have no idea who Rick Astley is, you're like, "Man, this black guy can sing." Yeah. No, he is the most pale, redheaded, no soul, gingered, white British guy yeah. with a soulful voice. Yeah, but uh, so I had to pick. I had to pick uh, Rick Astley. Never going to give you up. Number two. Now there's backstory to number two for me. I have gotten shit throughout my whole life because I have said vehemently and I stick to my gun. Van Hagar was better than Van Roth. They are. Sammy Hagar better voice they sold more records with sammy hagar to me that was the van halen sound but the song i picked is when it's love videos you're basic they're just performing it's not a, it's not a great video but it's sammy hagar being sammy hagar and yes back-to-back weeks now we've had van halen well, they have new aerosmith they also had uh finish what you started in 88 sammy hagar's voice you can't duplicate that dude's voice the red rocket phenomenal Van Hagar will always be better than Van Roth. See, I think Van Hagar is better than Van Roth, but Van Roth had some songs that you cannot discount. I mean, I'm not discounting. I just prefer Sammy Hagar more. Okay, so since mine's a two for one, go ahead, give me your number one, and then I'll get into my two and one because it's a, it's a package deal. Okay, my number one, I'll keep it real, real quick. Another one of those, oh, that song, Escape Club wild wild west yeah it's one of those like weird songs where you're drunk in a bar you start doing finger guns and then you start throwing it in the air i i will tell you uh, one so i never minded that song before and then i came to to have some hatred of it because i was a videographer for a few years and i used to tape dance recitals they did that song every night for however many there were two shows a night for four nights yeah so i had to watch like eight dance performances of that song and i probably knew the dance by the end of it it's but, a great beat you're two for okay so my number two is the fat boys featuring robert england as freddy krueger it's are you ready for freddy it was recorded as the theme for nightmare on elm street for dream master so essentially prince marky d's uncle frederick has died and his lawyer meets the group outside Nightmare on Elm Street house. The lawyer informs Marky that he must spend the night inside Uncle Frederick's home to earn his inheritance. So the group enters, and not long after, Freddy Krueger appears and begins to chase the band throughout the house, slashing them with his claw while they're sleeping. This song has probably more Robert England rapping than it does the Fat Boys. Still to this day, I've never seen one Nightmare on Elm Street movie. You're missing out. There's a couple I of them that are pretty good. So that's my number two. My number one is Fresh Prince and DJ Jazzy Jeff, Nightmare on My Street. Oh, yes. And there's a couple reasons. So this is one of the ones I said that has an asterisk because this video was lost for 30 years. So this song was made because Fresh Prince and DJ Jazzy Jeff were originally in talks with the studio to make the theme for Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Well, they had made the song and video, but the studio new line had decided to go with the Fat Boy. So the video and song were made. DJ Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince's label, BMG, they released the video anyhow. So at the time, you had two videos promoting a movie, but one was only officially attached to it. So pretty weird. So New Line Cinema sued and won, and all copies of this video had to be destroyed. It could not exist. Ja uh, Jazzy Jeff told Uproxx in 2018, 
his girlfriend taped over his copy. And in 2016, Andy Green from Rolling Stone, he had asked readers who regularly taped MTV, because there were a lot of those people who taped MTV, please go through your video archives from 1988 and see if you can find it, because it would be a nice treat. So in 2018, someone did just that. And in the middle, it's, and it's funny because when they uploaded the video, the original version that was uploaded, someone had taped a few seconds of growing pains. So it was like <laughs> the first time the world saw this video that didn't see it originally. Kirk Cameron's yeah, in this? Yeah, got to, got to see a few seconds Tell of growing DiCaprio? pains. But this is the better song. This is the better song than the... I'll agree. I'll the, agree it's better than Parents Don't Just Understand. The, well, it's better than the Fat Boys. Well, Are you ready for Freddy? Disorderlies. There's a movie for you with the Fat Boys. <laughs> yeah, in it. that was the our top five favorite videos. Let's talk about a couple others. Who had uh, Guns N' Roses, Sweet Child of Mine. Def Leppard really killed it in 88. They had Pour Some Sugar on Me, Love Bites, and Hysteria. Poison, nothing but a good time. We're in the glam rock era yeah. now, everybody. Glam My, rock. Michael Jackson had Man in the Mirror, Dirty Diana. Robert Palmer, Simply Irresistible, which is... Uh, no, no, they have Addicted to Love in this movie. Yes, they do. That they sing, can I have a beer? Can I have a shot? Hold on, I'm singing Robert Palmer right now, you assholes. It's TGI Fridays. Uh, George Michael, Father Figure, One More Try, and Faith. Another song that was also featured in Cocktail that pisses me off. Bobby McFerrin, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Don't tell me what I need to be, Bobby. All right. In Excess had New Sensation and Devil Inside. Jim, why don't you tell me your thoughts on In Excess and Michael Hutchins? Bob Geldof killed Michael Hutchins. There you go. Period. Poison, Every Rose Has Its Thorn, Aerosmith, they had to come up this week, Ragdoll, and Angel. My buddy, Phil Collins, a goofy kind of love, Terrence Trent Darby. And Wishing Well. Or for the longest time, I thought it was Terrence Trent DRB. <laughs> so every time I go to Arby's now, I always call it DRB's Wishing Well. Terrence Trent DRB sandwich. <laughs> David Lee Roth, just like yeah, Paradise. Yeah, it's, it's David Lee Roth climbing some mountains, doing his cliffhanger deal. And Belinda Carlisle came out of nowhere. Yeah, Heaven is a Place on Earth. Uh, and then Bobby Brown, My Prerogative. One of the first karaoke songs I ever did at the Nye of Bingy, and I stripped to it. Oh. I was so drunk. Oh. I was wearing a blazer. I wanted to dress that night. It was the night before everybody went back to YSU. I'll never forget. It was packed. I had to wait. I want to say I had to wait for like 20 minutes. I get up on stage. I only do karaoke if I have the lyrics memorized. I don't need to look at the TV screen. It's a performance, damn it. So I start singing. I get into it. So I had this blazer. I ripped it off. I threw it in the crown. I had a button-down shirt, tore the buttons off of it. Everybody was going crazy. It's one of those moments in my mind that's probably a lot bigger in my mind than what it was in reality. <laughs> I was Tom Cruise at the Night Bingy. Fantastic. Britney, Britney, <laughs> Britney Spears covered my prerogative. Uh, let's not talk about that. Yeah. That was so, horrible. All right. So, uh, Jim, why don't you go ahead and let him know? Everybody back in the pool. All right, before we move on to a meaty logic portion, two questions. One, do you prefer this Tom Cruise or later era action Tom Cruise, meaning like Mission Impossible and and those in that type of Tom Cruise? And do you think this movie would be better or worse if it were remade, say, for like Netflix? Now, I said as we were watching this, Top Gun was done two years before this movie. He looks younger in this movie than he did in Top Gun. I like, I'm so used to action Tom Cruise. Granted, when my first thing of Tom Cruise was Top Gun. That's how I knew Tom Cruise. But then the older I got, you know, risky business Tom Cruise, the outsider Tom Cruise. But if I had to pick, I, I prefer my action star, pure Scientology savior, Tom Cruise. Even though this is an outlier, what I don't get is this is called a cult film. I don't know how this is a cult film. Well, because people like us like it and no one else does. But I did like what you brought up earlier when it comes to this being a bad movie and Tom Cruise in Rain Man. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit in the legacy. What was your second question? My second question is, do you think that this movie would be better if they were to remake it? No, I think this movie was a great product of its time. I don't want them to remake this movie because for some reason it would be Channing Tatum again. I know I've referenced him before (laughs) when it comes to a Twister remake. I don't want to see this again. So I I would say my favorite Tom Cruise is probably 83 or 85 to about 1990. What's your favorite Tom Cruise movie? Top Gun. I mean, probably. Days of Thunder. Yeah, that's and that's where I'm going. So you had Risky Business, All the Right Moves. Legend, Top Gun, Color of Money, Cocktail, Rain Man, Born on Fourth of July, and Days of Thunder. Yeah, and then 
And then you hit 90s, like serious actor Tom Cruise with A Few Good Men, The Firm, Interview with the Vampire. Jerry Maguire was in there. Eyes Wide Shut. Magnolia. He is fantastic in Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia. Wonderful performance. And then Tom Cruise, pretty much around 2000, went headfirst into Mission Impossible. Yeah. Movies. And then you had your Jack Reacher and uh, movies of that nature. So. But give me, give me Tom Cruise at this time when just attaching his name to a movie could make eight times the budget. I'll take that 1983 or so Tom Cruise. I agree with you. about 1990. Okay, so logic. My first logic point, Brian was in the army. He should be a pretty disciplined man. Why does he continue to follow all of Coughlin's laws at all? But especially like after their fight, Coughlin's kind of like an unredeemable piece of shit. And Brian, was he just like, again, we don't know what his parents were. Did he not have a father figure? Why was he? All he knows is uncle. Why is he so hard up for a a mentor? Because he literally, like, he sabotages himself a couple times over Coughlin. You know who Coughlin reminds me of? You know the movie Waiting with Ryan Reynolds? Yeah. He's the cool guy at the restaurant. Yeah. That has been there for 20 years. And he's like, hey, man, Coughlin. He's the fucking coolest. Yeah. As soon as he steps out on the street, he's a schmuck. Yes. That's who he yeah, is. Yeah, everybody thinks he's awesome for work. Like I but, said, uh, he's a con man. Douglas Coughlin, your ship has certainly come in. <laughs> my ship. My ship is going down, and I'm going down with it. How's that? Well, this is an illusion. I'm on my ass. I haven't got a pot to piss in. A mm. hundred grand a week. Painful. Should have read some of your sacred books, young Flanagan. The only thing I know about saloons is how to pour whiskey and run my mouth off. I knew nothing about insurance, sales tax, or the building code, or labor costs, or the power company, or purchasing, or linens. Everyone with a hand stuck it in my pocket. You must make enough to cover that. If I'd stuck to what I know best, which is almost Nothing. Instead, I put all the cash into commodity and blew the fucking lot. On the margin, I wanted it fast. See the headlines. Douglas Coughlin, bartender to billionaire. The luck is gone. The brain is shot. But the liquor we still got. Doug, are you down there? She knows nothing about this. She thinks I'm a fucking hero. Yeah. He's the only one that could see through his bullshit. So I don't understand why Brian couldn't stand up to Coughlin because even after their fight and then they reconnect in Jamaica, it's still like he sabotages his relationship for Coughlin because he can't. Which is crazy. It is not. He has Elizabeth Shue. There is no woman on the planet hotter than Elizabeth Shue. The way she looks like they're the perfect tan, the curly hair. She's sun kissed. Why? Over a stupid bet, you have Elizabeth Shue already. Well, ex- exactly. Like, even if he thought she wasn't going to see it or wouldn't know about it, doesn't he have any sort of internal code? So Coughlin's got laws. Why doesn't Brian have, you know, no, I'm not. For somebody that is so guided about being a, a successful businessman, being rich, he has all these hints of wisdom. He has all these self-help books. He can't make a decision on his own at all until the very end when he's like, I'm going to be a father. I'm going to get this money together. He opens Flanagan's subname, Cocktails and Dreams, yes. which we can't figure out what name is what. I'm going to marry this lady. I'm going to be a dad to twins. He finally figures out, but all the way at the end of the movie. So speaking of Elizabeth Shue, just quickly, another logic issue. When he first meets her, he's working and bartending. She sprints up to his bar and says, help my friend. Excuse me. Uh, my friend just passed out on the beach over there. Do you have a phone anywhere? no. no. Excuse me. Excuse me. She was uh, drinking champagne in the sun. Champagne. Perfume going in, sewage coming out. Is she going to be all right? Yeah, she's going to be okay. Uh, could somebody go down to the condo office and have them call an ambulance? Yeah, sure. Just in case. Let's get her up. So he jumps over the bar, runs a considerable distance. Yeah, it's not like right in front of, it's, you know, you go to the beach sometimes. There's a bar, there's a beach. He runs like down the beach a distance. Seems like a half a mile. To find the friend who is like passed out or needing assistance. You know, they flash forward. They're in the ambulance. He's giving advice to Elizabeth Shue on how to take care of a friend, which we find out. 
her friend's just shit face. She's smashed. So, but Damn. there's people everywhere. Why does she come and get Tom Cruise? They just stand there. I it, mean, Tom Cruise knows the ambulance driver too. Yeah. It, I mean, is it because he's a bartender? So it's kind of like, well, my friend's drunk. I need a bartender to tell me how to like. I just don't understand why. Yeah, hey, you're a bartender, be- right? Yeah, you know CPR. There could have been a better way for them to meet. She could have just went and got a drink, like. But instead, they have them meet, and then his Jamaican friend comes up and says, "All right, my shift's over, or whatever." Uh, so apparently, no one's tending the bar at that moment. But within, like we said, within two days, she falls from hook, line, and sinker. She even says, as they're making out on the beach one night, "I had a premonition that I was going to meet somebody." Yeah, and it's like that's mm. the only. <laughs> Do you ever have the feeling that you might meet somebody? You know, when you walk into some place or something. Star crash lover syndrome? Hmm. No. No. Because I had a premonition that I was going to meet somebody when I came down here. Really? Mm hmm. You still got time, you know. That's the only logic I can explain that she's a fortune why she's so distraught over this two day relationship. She's completely. I mean, is she naive? Okay, if I'm a good looking middle tooth bartender. In Jamaica. That, why did why did you have to tell me about the middle tooth? I fixated on that throughout the entire movie. So if you're a good-looking American bartender at a resort in Jamaica, how many loads of girls are coming to this resort and going... There's droves. Yeah, and he's sleeping with them. And he's putting on his flip bottle performances yeah. and they're all just eating it up. You yeah. might do poetry. Yes. So Elizabeth Shue can't be that naive to think that she was special. I mean, she is. Now, it would have made more sense, like you said, if she was poor or if she was a chud. That would have been a different story, which... Like the girl... At the beginning, yes. at TGI Fridays with the green sweater that I thought had a unibrow. Yeah, she's staring a hole through <laughs> Tom Cruise. And he says, and I quote, quote She's giving me serious fuck, fuck me, me eyes. Fuck me <laughs> And then her chud boyfriend comes up. Yeah, so like her. everything, Coglin knows better. He does. So Coglin says, Q... Cue boyfriend in five seconds or whatever he says. And sure enough, I fear whether Tom Cruise would have went home with her. It's a little frightening. Speaking of Coughlin, he thinks that Flanagan's Jamaica plan is stupid. Which makes no sense because they even said it's a foolproof plan. They decide together that they're going to open a bar. And it's Coral's idea. I mean, Coral has the idea for how to save money. So essentially, Coral tells Flanagan that you can make four to $500 a day. And that was even a bartender with no flair. Yes. And he's the best bartender. And this is tax-free money. So essentially, he figures in three years of doing this, they'll have... And like, what do you have to lose? You're going to get to live in Jamaica for six months a year. He acts like it's just a horrible thing. Yeah. So you're going to get to live in Jamaica for six months a year. You're going to save the money to open your own bar and then be done with it. And Flanagan's like, no, it's stupid. What we really need to do... Stay here in New York. That's where the angels are. Yes, he calls them angels. Stay here in New York. He doesn't even necessarily say it's going to be a woman, but he thinks that someone's just going to come in the bar one day and give them the the $75,000 they need for a bar. Now, if you ask me, three years isn't that long of a time. I mean, it, it is when it's also not when you're when you're working. So they kind of both go their own way and they both kind of actually succeed. Flanagan's doing well in Jamaica. He mentions it later in the movie that he gets a hot, rich wife. He's got a lot of money saved up. And then Coughlin actually does what he says he's going to do. He marries attractive, rich woman. Very attractive. Yeah. So they both kind of succeed. But I just, why does Flanagan or why does Coughlin think Flanagan's idea is so stupid? It makes no sense. I do not understand. Tom Cruise, he has his shit together. He's trying to figure things out. I don't understand why he's so fixated with Coughlin's laws. Me either. It's like he's so... uh, Again, maybe Kelly Lynch said that this movie had a lot more backstory for the characters. So maybe in that cut before Disney got a hold of it, maybe they explain why he's so hard up for a mentor. Because otherwise, it just doesn't make sense why he's so desperate or gullible or whatever it is. Uh, The last thing I want to talk about in logic before we talk about anything you want to talk about why does Coughlin kill himself? We get a little bit of a speech and we get a suicide note, but nothing else in this movie prepares us 
to believe that Coughlin would kill himself. The only thing that made me think why he did that, when he ends up running into Coughlin at that bar near the end of the movie, and he comes across this boat, like, hey, I got this big sailboat. They go down, have a drink. He takes a picture of him, and he basically says, listen, I'm full of shit. What I've told you is wrong. I have nothing. I've made this shit up the entire time. I think it's the fact that he finally came to grips with who he is. That's why he offed himself. But okay. I mean, granted, it's it. He's he's an asshole. He's a huge asshole. He's comfortable with who he is, obviously. At the end, he didn't seem like he was comfortable anymore. I mean, who am I to talk to anybody about like suicide, depression, mental health? But they just in this movie, they don't set us up for any of that. Also, if he truly believed that, then why didn't he just like talk to Flanagan and be like, I want to do it your way? You know, I, I admit. Well, actually, I take that back. When when Flanagan goes to Jordan to tell her that he doesn't want to end up the way that Coughlin did, he says he loved me, but he was too afraid to admit it. So I guess that's the answer because I was going to say, why didn't Coughlin just say, I want to do it your way. Let's save the money in earnest. He's so stuck on his principles. He doesn't give up on it. Yeah. So and uh, plus the weird relationship with his wife, like he's watching his wife kiss other yeah, dudes. His, and shit. his wife takes the marriage line Flanagan. Oh, my God. I can't make it with my best friend's old lady. Am I supposed to live with the same man day in and day out forever and have no one else in my life? Yes, it's called marriage. Not only why does he kill himself, I guess we're led to believe that he slashes his throat with a broken bottle. That's what it looks like. He comes across his body covered in blood. He decides to just drop his hands in all of his blood. If I'm any good cop, I'm like, your fingerprints are all over glasses in here. Your hands are covered in blood. Who the fuck are you? Flanagan goes to Coughlin's bar because he gets the investment from his wife. He opens the most. This bar has to be like a million dollars a month in Manhattan where it's at. It's insane. There's an Ed Tutal Jones lookalike who... Or Hightower from Police Academy. Who chases Flanagan through the bar. Looks like Orange Juice Jones too. Yeah. And uh, and so Flanagan is there to pay up on his bet. Flanagan! My best friend in the world. My only friend. Piss off, Henry. It's okay. It's great to see you, my only friend. Sit down. Sit down. I don't know. It looks like you've got a lot of friends here this evening. Proctologist dream. What? Wall-to-wall assholes. <laughs> great to see you, Flanagan. Yes, because you know I've come to pay off my bet. But he's there to pay up on his bet. And he brings him the bottle of booze that he then uses to slash his own throat. Symbolism. Yeah, it's wild. So that's pretty much, there's a lot more logic. I mean, I can see why all critics didn't like it because there is a lot lot of logic stuff in this movie. Anything else for you for logic? I'm still hung up on a whole TGI Fridays thing. I never thought TGI Fridays could be that exciting. So when, it's funny that it's TGI Fridays. It's it's really, I didn't How did we never know? I didn't look it up. So I really don't know what TGI Fridays was doing in 1988, whether they started to spread. The reason that Brian drops out of school is because they had to write a paper on a business model for something. And Brian wrote about how he wants to take franchise it. He wants to take a New York bar and franchise it all across the country. In malls. In malls. And in uh, and his professor's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. He's a real prick professor. He's yeah. been in a lot of stuff as prick. Excellent throw. He throws the paper up in the air and it comes right back Perfect. down. Perfect. He got an F. Yeah, so Brian gets an F. He thinks it's the professor thinks it's stupid. But it's how ironic is it that it's TGI Fridays, which now literally is in like every strip mall, airports, airports, uh, malls everywhere. Except the one TGI Fridays we had around in our area failed miserably. Maybe because they didn't have bartenders with flair. Yeah, maybe because they didn't play Robert Palmer's addicted to love. Keep turning down. And I also love how the bartenders had volume music control. Yeah. I've never seen no, that at any bar. The bartenders bar. just had like a, a cassette player back there or something. And when he first starts out, has no idea how to mix any drink whatsoever. People are screaming at him. He looks at the one server and calls her a bitch. This is what I ordered. A You bitch. Why didn't you just tell me it was a rum and coke? At the end of the night, the protocol there at TGI Fridays is you get 10% of the server's tips. Supposed to get 10% from the waitresses. I don't deserve it. You schmuck. You get money from girls every day? Listen, I'm sorry I called you a bitch. Why? I am a bitch. After he rang out his completely soaked socks, which was fucking disgusting. Everything about the TGIF scenes are pretty interesting because we also are led to believe that he improves 
substantially in a day in a day he's flipping bottles his, porn his shit. first shift has like a cringe line for me it's not a cold drinks cringe line but it's a cringe line where it's just one of those like dumb movie lines that nobody'd ever say everybody's shouting the names of their drinks and this one guy he goes what did you order a martini all right food and food. all right now what was it that you ordered a martini what's in that What's in that? It's like, it's just such a stupid movie line. And I always go back to bartender because if they had John Taffer's bartender to see what they poured out all over the place, holy shit. Yeah. So anyway, the first, his first shift is a complete unmitigated disaster. Nightmare. He doesn't know how to make basic drinks. And they do show him talking to Coughlin a little bit between there, but by his next shift, he's got it. They're oh, tossing he got his drinks to each flare. other oh, yeah. and he's doing all the tricks and he knows how to make the drinks now. He did a lot of studying in between shifts. I wonder if he went home and just was like, or went to his uncle's bar and said, I'm going to start learning how to flip shit. That's a, see, why did we see that? He I guarantee you, they, there's probably a two hour cut of this movie that Disney cut out. Uncle could have showed him his uncle owns a bar. Why does he work in his uncle's bar? But no. Yeah, it's it's weird. So anything else you want to touch on on logic? No, I think we got it all covered. It's it's an amazing movie. It, it, there's so many surprises in this movie and a lot of like, why the fuck would you do that? That's why we picked this movie. People should know about cocktail. Yeah, I think we should probably cover most of Tom Cruise's 80s movies like Color of Money, we should cover, which is an excellent, excellent one. We should do Days of Thunder. Definitely Days of Thunder. We will definitely do Top Gun at some point. When Maverick comes out. We can do that as our deep enders. We can do, yeah, Top Gun and Maverick together. Uh, yeah, a lot of Tom Cruise we can do for sure. Days of Thunder is a good one. Legacy of this movie, I will say the Beach Boys Kokomo. Was their biggest hit, like I said earlier, was without Brian Wilson because Brian Wilson went through a lot of drug problems at the time. So his brother Carl took over the lead with Mike Love and Al Jardine. Everybody except Brian Wilson was in the band. Well, Brian Wilson was in the midst of making his 30 year journey, the Smile album. Crazy shit. Which is actually a good album, but and it then took in the 30 video, years to make. Uncle Jesse Katsopoulos playing the bongos there, right. John Stamos. Uh, and then also Tom Cruise in 1988 was in both the worst picture and the best picture. So cocktail recognized by the Razzies as the worst picture of 1988. He was in Rain Man, which won one best picture with Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman in 1988. I don't believe that's been done again. I will say Eddie Redmayne was in The Danish Girl and Jupiter Ascending in the same year. He we was, paid to go see I Jupiter Ascending. It. I love that That movie. movie was so unnecessarily long. It's insanely terrible. And that Eddie Redmayne laugh. He Eddie Redmayne does this like whisper scream the whole... It's, a, it's an interesting choice. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really weird. And he probably should have won best actor, best actor and worst actor because he was in The Danish Girl. So... I don't believe Tom Cruise's feat has been repeated. Please tell me if I'm wrong on our Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, email, uh, snail mail, wampum, or not wampum, smoke, <laughs> wampum, pass wampum, <laughs> smoke signal, whatever. Smoke them if you got them. Yes. And then uh, finally, what drink pairs well with this movie? Now, it is a movie <sighs> called cocktail but they seem to focus heavily on this one called a red eye. Absolutely. Which is Coglin's big drink. Essentially, it's like a Bloody Mary, but with beer instead of vodka. And there's no celery stock hanging out? No, but the way that Coughlin makes it, we don't really ever get the actual recipe, but he does a Miller Genuine Draft, which he just puts the bottle in a glass and then walks away until it's like overflowing by inches. Yeah, forget about bacteria. And I, I don't that. know if he does tomato juice. I don't know if it's hot sauce. I don't know exactly what agent he's using to turn it red. He puts some sort of pills in it. I'm going to say it's Vicodin or Percocet because <laughs> I'm thinking late 80s. I thought maybe speed might have been speed. He cracks it wasn't it, cocaine. And then he cracks an egg in it whole one whole egg. And then he's he drinks these throughout the movie. But if you don't want to do the red eye, I don't. I don't want to drink a red eye. Uh, we actually should have done this. 
while we were recording. Ugh. Do it a red eye. Drank a red and eye. And all vomit on the no, air. No, it's just acid reflux, the drink. Uh, so you can do a sex on a beach. You could do an orgasm. Are you going to do a poem as you tell us what we should drink? I'm not. <laughs> I don't need to do that. But basically, yeah, there's uh, you can look up the drinks from this movie. There's a link. There's a website. I don't know what it is right off the top of my head. But look up any of these recipes. Have a few drinks. Try and do some tricks and spill booze all over your kitchen or your bar area while you're trying to mimic what uh, Tom Cruise is doing is flying again. But I would definitely say a recommend on this movie. We're gearing up now, winding down into yeah, the... my recommendation. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, what the hell? I, I just... thought you were just going with those no, ones. No, no, which... no, no. I have a great recommendation for yourself. Don't have any gripes. If you have dry pipes, kick back on the beach and enjoy a red stripe. There you go. And that's my poem to one and all. Have a great summer and an even better fall. That was a yes! Really well done. Because they do drink Red Stripe in this movie in yeah, Jamaica. Jamaica. And they play the same song over and over and over The worst again. song of the film. I hope you find that song to <laughs> close out the song. So What's the name of the song again? I have no idea. Oh, it's shit. just very repetitive and they play it multiple times in this movie. So, I, again, I would say I recommend this movie. We do have uh, three episodes remaining in what we consider to be our season one. And then uh, give us some suggestions for season two. We kind of have an open slate at this point. We know some things we want to do, but, uh, you know, some special guests, nothing. Everything's written in pencil right now for season two. Check us out at poolsteampodcast at gmail.com. Send us what you think. Also, Instagram and Facebook, Pool Scene Podcast. Hit us up there. All right. That's it for us this week. We will see you next week for the ultimate time travel movie, Varsity Blues. I don't want your life. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye.